This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shana Roth. We've been getting kind of used to record-setting elections over the last few years, and this past week's midterms were no exception. This year saw the most ballots cast than any other gubernatorial election. And here with me to break down what this means is Sarah Rahal of the Detroit News. Sarah, welcome to Mishmash. Thank you so much for having me. So as of November 9th, the estimate from the Secretary of State's office was at least 4.45 million Michigan votes cast. Sarah, break this down for us. Yeah, so we know that you know more than 4.5 million voters cast ballots in Michigan's election Tuesday, breaking the record turnout uh, set in 2018 for the midterm election. And this wasn't the only milestone hit, from the electing their first Black Republican to Congress to putting Democrats in control of Lansing. Michigan voters ushered in a number of historic firsts. Wimmer had nearly an 11-point victory over Tudor Dixon, and we're not clear yet on where the highest turnout was, but we do know that Detroit had a significantly less turnout. And Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said that a record 2 million voters statewide had requested absentee ballots for the midterm, and 1.8 million absentee ballots were returned. In Detroit, absentee ballots made up half of total votes. In your piece for the Detroit News, you quoted Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who also won re-election. She said, quote, I want to emphasize how we're seeing candidates who previously denied accurate results of the 2020 election now graciously conceding defeat in their own high profile races underscores that we've truly succeeded, end quote. Now, this is something that surprised me. I really thought there was going to be more contested election results. What do you attribute this to? I think that early voting really made a difference this term. During that time, election pollers were able to process and record um, ahead, just make sure that people were registered and do all the checks and balances. And then they fed them into the tabulators on election day, which is what why we saw earlier results. And with Proposal 2's passage, um, the, its impact, Benson said, nine days of early voting requires more preparation for the next election. So we could see this actually make a difference in the future. Do you think this is a sign that election denial is sort of turning around and that this talking point might be finally losing steam? You know, that's what Benson said in her victory speech Tuesday. Um, And she followed up with it on Wednesday, saying that it was a significant mark of success, of their success. She recognized that candidates' defeat underscores the voting process's success. So I think that in her words, uh, that is what the, let's say, mood is. Let's dig into these numbers a bit more. Absentee voting. In 2018, a constitutional amendment was passed by voters in Michigan that allowed for no reason absentee voting. How much did absentee voting factor into all of this? And do you think that we're going to continue to see high numbers of absentee voting into the future? With 1.8 million voters, that's significant. It reduces the lines on election day. It gives an adequate amount of time to become knowledgeable about the ballot. And with Proposal 2's passage, we're going to see military personnel votes now being counted while they're abroad. It's not clear yet what the trends are going to be in the future. We'll see absentee voting um, change year to year based on what's up for debate. And I don't think we're going to see the same things that we saw during the pandemic. I think that's a very unique circumstance. And we've added more things in place to make the process more efficient. We're, we're seeing, in, especially in Detroit, with half of all votes being casted absentee or early, it's going to play a significant role in the city's outturn while it's growing. Especially the clerk in Detroit, having said that 
they had already processed uh, 60,000 votes by Sunday prior to the election, it meant that we could actually see the results earlier and what people in the state's largest city truly felt, which was no surprise. I, and I'm sure a lot of other people did too, saw a lot of posts and tweets showing high college student turnout or what looked to be high uh, college student turnout. There were long lines and you know, reports of kids waiting for hours uh, to vote at U of M, Michigan State. Obviously, these are anecdotal, but as far as we know right now, what was the college student turnout like? Uh, well, people ages 65 to 74 turned out at the highest rates in the last presidential election. Uh, voters 18 to 24 were the least likely to vote. But on Tuesday, we saw a total flip. Students were so excited to vote. Some waited more than four hours in line, and it stretched all the way around buildings. That was the images we saw uh, when, while we were waiting for results. In Ann Arbor, large lines formed around the Museum of Art, and it was issues like Proposal 3 that they felt empowered to be heard. Um, when we talked to students, they really didn't have a strong sense on who was running for office, just the proposals. And that meant that word was really spread about what was at stake. And students felt that they had an obligation as the next generation to impact their future, not the current standing of where things are. So what happens next? Your piece mentioned canvassing, possible recounts, and then when all that is done, there's going to be multiple bipartisan post-election audits. Walk us through this because all of this mm -hmm. sounds time-consuming and a little bit complicated. <laughs> yes, it is. Clerks will confirm the accuracy of the results for certification. That's what's happening now. Uh, the law requires that the board certify those results by November 22nd, and a bipartisan board has the responsibility to do the same by November 28th. If recounts are requested, those will occur after the canvases are complete and the election is certified. Uh, Benson did release a video to voters on how the process works, and it's one of their many checks and balances of the process, and she wants to make that clear. Um, after it completes, bipartisan post-election audits will affirm their practices even more for their elections. It's really just redoing everything over again, but a separate group of people that are a mix of every party. So this way, everything gets checked three times, and they make sure that the process is seamless for the next time this comes around. Let's move on to one of the big winners of the midterms. Governor Gretchen Whitmer handedly beat her GOP opponent, Tudor Dixon, on Tuesday. She now has another four years in office. Now, a large chunk of her first term was focused on COVID-19 and dealing with the pandemic and sort of trying to move on from that and usher the state through that. Now, we're still in a pandemic, but life has drastically changed and opened up such that Whitmer has a bit more room to focus on other things. Uh, plus, she now has a Democratic House and Senate, which is a massive feat, hasn't happened in decades. So what are her plans and goals as far as we know them so far? Just like four years ago, Whitmer said she would focus on kitchen table issues like drinking water, affordable health care, education, and fixing the roads. Um, all of which will continue to be priorities in the next term. I think healthcare is inevitably added to that list. In tandem, she promised to focus on the state's growing economy by completing projects to make more cars, semiconductors, and clean energy for Michigan. Quote, we will keep fighting to repeal the retirement tax so seniors can keep more of what they've earned. We will protect the Great Lakes for future generations and ensure that every Michigander can pursue their potential from preschool to post-secondary. I will keep fighting like to protect 
fundamental rights as they've continued to be under assault across the nation. Um, and my pause there was for An ex expletive. <laughs> yes, expletive. <laughs> we can definitely tell that she is following what the voters, I would say, wanted to hear after this pandemic has abetted. And it is something that she ran on. Uh, her reelection campaign was defined by movements for women's rights, civil rights, and LGBTQ rights. Um, along with unions. Uh, the unions really turned out for her, especially at her watch party. Um, they were some of the most people I've, I talked to. As I said before, the state House and Senate have Democratic majorities in the state legislature, which means they now have members that take on new roles. Speaker of the House and Senate Majority Leader, their party hasn't gotten to choose uh, those types of leaders for an incredibly long time. And they have not wasted any time in deciding who is going to be the new Senate Majority Leader and Speaker of the House. Obviously, this doesn't start until next year, but they've chosen them. So, Sarah, who is getting these coveted positions and why were they chosen? State Rep Joe Tate from Detroit will serve as Speaker of the House, becoming the first Black politician to serve in the role in state history. Um, he's 41, and he is a Marine Corps veteran, first elected in 2018. Uh, we're also going to see the first woman Senate Majority Leader. That is going to be State Senator Winnie Brinks from Grand Rapids. And she is 54 and has led the Democratic Caucus at the state capitol. So now that we have the leaders in place from the governor through the legislature. How are you predicting the next couple years are going to go with the Democrats in power? They haven't had this much power in an incredibly long time. Uh, do you think that there is an appetite for them to continue working with Republicans and trying to do things in a bipartisan way? Or are they going to essentially throw a Democrat party and just really push through what they've been itching to do for years? That's a great question. I think that we're all wondering those things. What was promised on Tuesday and Wednesday was that Democrats are going to work with anyone, with anyone across, across the aisle or anyone that approaches them to make significant change. Um, that was the message that was spread by Whitmer, Benson, and Nessel. Um, it appears that this is going to be something that we're all going to have to have eyes on because we haven't seen a Democratic-led state entirely in over 40 years. And everyone wants to know what is going to be significantly different. Um, a lot of the fight this term was to keep things the same. And seeing what's going to change ahead is, is one for another conversation. Sarah Rahal is with the Detroit News. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Mishmash. Thank you for having me.